Hello and welcome to RMIT Online's The Pickle. I'm Max Hood, I'm a product manager at RMIT Online and today we're chatting to Alan Sen about the future of blockchain. Alan is an investor in early stage fintech startups. He's currently the chair of Fintech Australia where he's led numerous submissions to government departments on digital currency and blockchain tech alike. Look forward to speaking today about all these topics. Alan, do you want to give us a little bit of a summary of your work at Fintech Australia, what you've been up to over the last three or four years and, and what's exciting at the moment? Firstly, thanks for having me uh, on the podcast. I'm excited to have a chat with you. We, we haven't uh, chatted for a while. We, we obviously worked together a little bit on the RMIT blockchain course and it's, it's good to uh, be chatting again. Um, so what have I been up to over the last few years? Like, quite a bit, actually. So um, uh, as, as you said, currently uh, working in the fintech space as, a, as an investor. I'm just trying to get my first uh, venture capital fund up. It's, it's pretty interesting during these times. So as, as you noted, uh, focus on early stage fintech startups. So first check type of stuff. I, I sometimes joke, I, I try to invest early before other people understand uh, what the space is going to look like. You know, I try to be the believer before the religion is there. And so you know, it, it's an interesting space. I, I think over the last few years, we've seen a massive explosion in fintech in Australia, mainly sort of built around a handful of things. So some global trends and then some local trends. So on the, on the local side, obviously, there's, there's been quite a bit of regulatory change uh, that's been driving that. And then also probably on a global basis, we've seen, you know, a, a renewed interest in financial services as, uh, you know, potentially on the incumbent side, a way to increase, uh, you know, and optimize profits and, and sort of process, but also then on the on the startup side uh, as, a, as a very lucrative space to, to attack um, and with incumbents that probably haven't been as uh, busy in terms of uh, improving as what uh, the startups have been. So very focused on fintech space, as you know, sort of uh, sitting on the board of fintech Australia, also uh, a bunch of other stuff. So I sit on assets, digital advisory board, everything in and around fintech, I, I sort of, uh, yeah, and involved with I suppose. Fantastic and obviously when when I think of fintech or a lot of us we sort of we think blockchain we we cast our mind back to the the 2017 sort of crypto spike and and we were involved in a, a bunch of projects at that time. How's the how's the landscape changed since then? What sort of what have we learned? What's what's been proven to to work? What's been proven to scale and, and what are some of the hiccups that we've seen uh, over the last couple of years um, that we can sort of take learnings from and as we move forward? Yeah, so, so I think you, you rightly point out, Max, 2017 was a really interesting time in the uh, blockchain, crypto, sort of digital currency space. Um, massive uptick due to ICOs. I, I think it's probably the best way to describe that uh, uptick of interest broadly and, and capital flowing into the market is driven by sort of speculative investing in, in, in tokens. I think what we've probably seen since then is really the hype around uh, tokens and ICOs dip. Um, and, and start to move into more a more stable phase where we're starting to see more POCs in broader industries than just financial services. I think if we looked at the data, financial services has, has been dominant in terms of the area where blockchain technology has been applied. We're starting to see it sort of come out of uh, financial services a little bit more, rightly or wrongly. I think some of the projects at, at a corporate level specifically are, are probably you know, the, the fairy dust approach where we just throw some blockchain on it and all of a sudden it changes things. But I, I think we're sort of seeing more and, and broader applications actually. So sort of horizontal and vertical growth in the industry. Yeah, brilliant. And um, are we sort of, in Australia, we were sort of leading the way in, in some projects, the ASX project and a couple of others. Are we still sort of at that cutting edge of um, locally, uh, at that cutting edge of blockchain? Um, and how are we sort of learning and adapting from what's happening overseas? Yeah, so, so I, I think 
it's an interesting, it, it's been an interesting time over the last few years for blockchain technology. I, I think the biggest project globally in terms of uh, a, a corporate project is definitely the ASX project. And that's obviously being led out of Australia where they're trying to do two really interesting things. I think one is obviously apply a blockchain. It's, it's sort of, I mean, blockchain is probably a, a generous word to describe what they're, what they're using as a technology, uh, technology base around it. Um, sort of a distributed ledger piece of technology that's going to replace the chess system and then some underlying infrastructure that's going to support its operation. So it's, it's actually quite a big project. I think that that's probably been, you know, people point at that as the shining light in Australian uh, blockchain, you know, projects. And, and I think again, it's driven globally by, by how big it is, but there've been a number of other projects that have sort of been underway in Australia. Again, most of them sort of still, and you know, it, it's quite funny. I cast my mind back to 2017, Max, when we spoke about a lot of this stuff during uh, the build out of the course, like I, a lot of the projects were, Proof of concepts are we still sort of there, right? Like a lot of the projects are still proof of concepts. You know, I was just reading this morning about another uh, project that's happening out in North Queensland. Uh, so companies called Civic Ledger and they're doing some water rights trading, basically trying to build some financial instruments or financial underpinning to, to, to water rights trading, which is, I, I think a really interesting project. Uh, but again, sort of still relatively early, it's sort of a POC project and we again, tend to see a lot of these POCs that, you know, start off as, as a concept, get built out a little bit, and then um, unfortunately fall flat. And that's mainly because where the technology is at, right? Like if we, if we cast our minds back to, um, you know, any wave of new technology, any secular shift, we tend to see this build out phase. And then this interesting bridge that sometimes technology crosses and sometimes it just doesn't into the, um, you know, into the mainstream, right? So we're sort of, I, I think, really close or, or maybe even on that bridge for blockchain technology. It's just a matter of if it can cross and, and sort of get right to the other side of it. Um, and, and that's still an open question, I think, like very, very debatable as to how or, or if it gets there. Yeah, brilliant. Um, we speak about trust a lot with blockchain and sort of that's often what we associate with one of the really important business problems that blockchain solves. And if we look at you know, why half the businesses exist in the fintech, often there's a trust role that they, they play. Can you elaborate a little bit more, Alan, on sort of what blockchain does to solve that trust disparity and, and why is that important and how does that relate to the projects that, that we see that would earmark to potentially yeah. be successful? Yeah, so, so I think it's worth taking a big step back when we think about trust in the blockchain space because I, I think, you know, in blockchain land, people tend to throw around the word trust and um potentially uh, in some incidences misuse it, sometimes, uh, you know, abuse it, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I think in blockchain land, we tend to talk about trust um, as this uh, singular thing, there's this binary concept, right? That the code verifies it, therefore it is true. But we sort of know from our own day-to-day -day experiences that just because there is a, you know, a secular truth, that doesn't mean that everyone believes it, right? So in, in the context of, of blockchain projects, people tend to use this idea of this, you know, binary trust that, um, you know, something has happened and it is, you know, proven by this entry on a ledger, which is fine, right? And, and very much so um, having a, a, a verifiable source tends to build some degree of trust. We've seen that with Bitcoin, right? Like Bitcoin's a great example of that. But again, sort of our day-to-day -day life tells us that, you know, trust is multidimensioned, right? It, it, there are many elements to it. You know, Airbnb succeeded it didn't need a blockchain. Uber succeeded and crossed the chasm of trust. It didn't need a blockchain, right? So I, I think it can play. It plays an important role. And if we, again, uh, you know, because most people listening have probably heard of Bitcoin or have maybe even interacted with it, you know, it's a great example of where you have a trustless system that verifies 
whether, in the case of Bitcoin, a transaction has occurred. And that's not really even the magic of Bitcoin. Really, it's the incentive design system that sits underneath it, right? That, that gets people to, you know, give up compute power to verify truth, right? Um, and that's sort of the magic there. But, you know, just coming back to, to your original question, like, why, why is trust even important in the context of, of blockchains? Because I think the main issue that we're tending to see at, at a social level is, you know, breakdown of trust in, in institutions and, you know, people see blockchain as a potential solution to that. Um, again, you know, I, I think it's debatable in the context of a lot of things, whether, you know, technology is the solution. You know, I joke a lot that, you know, in the world, we probably need more ledgers, but we might not need more technology to provide those ledgers, right? And what I mean by that is that, you know, there are plenty of places where we have incomplete data. You know, big examples are when people need to move suddenly due to, you know, maybe a political uh, issue to, to another country and, you know, they might not have the documentation to prove who they are. A, a ledger of some description which allows them to, to prove who they are is incredibly useful. Do we need a blockchain? I, I don't know that that's the case, right? Um, and so in many instances, we tend to come back to this idea that, you know, we need to record more data. We need to have more data available to us. The technology in many instances can be an Excel spreadsheet, but, you know, this is the hope, right? Is that uh, blockchain technology can sort of solve some of that and be that trust mechanism. Um, again, open question. It's not just blockchain that makes Bitcoin work. You mentioned the the incentive system behind it. There's a whole bunch of other things that sort of tie together to create that. To what extent we're sort of seeing COVID-19 is, is upon us now. We're filming, recording this at least from from our desks and and we're, yeah. we're right in the middle of this, you know, distancing, which is underscoring our interconnectedness and the, and the way that we communicate more than ever. We, we need rapid, coordinated, massive amounts of critical information to, to take action. Yeah. How can blockchain be used to build trusted data in a time of crisis like this? You mentioned um, the immigration problems we might be having in, in crises. Are there any examples of that happening? Interesting question, right? Um, I want to do a zoom out again on, on, on this, right? So if we think about any tectonic shift, right, whether it's, you know, a change in the financial landscape, so, you know, i.e. Um, 2008 GFC, we think about a natural disaster or some kind of political upheaval. If we actually look at what happens during that period of time, it's usually we use the technology that is available, proved, and actually to some extent, you know, has scaled, right? And, and you know, the best sort of analogy is we, we try to find band-aids to solve the problem in the moment. I think the more interesting question comes with what are the things that change after? And, that, and that's what we tend to see, right? Like, you know, I'm going to butcher this, this quote and go something to the effect of um, every general fights uh, the current war using the strategy from a previous war, right? And so that's what ends up happening with most tectonic shifts, whether again, sort of financial, political, whatever it is. And, and the more interesting thing to think about, which, you know, putting my investor hat on is what I'm doing at the moment is thinking about, well, what are the shifts that are going to occur? after what are the behaviors that will change that are going to allow the next wave of technology to to you know grow prosper and if we think about blockchain technology i think again you know we come back to the central idea of trust and how we have trustless systems that can be verified in some way and i think it's interesting to look at industries where trust has sort of been eroded a little and so if we think about or or, or has faced challenges okay so if we think about supply chains globally they've sort of struggled a little bit during this period of time and you know supply chains are sort of a, a hobby horse of most people in, in in blockchain land that they sort of see that as the uh, opportunity for, for for blockchain and verifying provenance etc uh, is sort of the main use case i think that can be a use case uh, i 
personally probably am more a, a bear on the supply chain use case than a bull. It requires coordination and the blockchain or the piece of technology is not the only issue, it's, it's people, right? And that's, you know, if we think about the big challenges the blockchain sort of faced in, in, in adoption, it's not the technology. The technology sort of works, right? You know, people point at transaction speed, they'll point at a whole bunch of different things. But the real challenge is getting people to adopt change. And that's been the, you know, again, that'll be the secular shift that needs to happen for it to really take mass adoption in those kinds of use cases like supply chain or yeah or with identity is another one and to what extent do we sort of see those parallel technologies playing into that that killer app or to what extent are we are we waiting to see a breakthrough in potentially the the internet of things or the the other sort of complementary uh, you mentioned supply chain yeah. do we need sort of another wave of, of innovation before this can sort of start to stand on its own two feet and if so what might be those those missing pieces? Yeah, so, so infrastructure. Um, the big challenge with blockchain technology at the moment, I'm actually looking at a company, doing some DD this week on a company that's, um, that, that's building out infrastructure. Um, the big challenge at the moment is that rolling your tech stack is still really hard. So it's, it's not at a point where you can sort of, you know, equivalently, like what you can with most uh, web-based technology, you know, jump on and find a, a you know, software as a service that'll just run this, right? There's no, there's no AWS for blockchain really at the moment, right? And so that's sort of, I think, a big area that it still needs a lot of improvement and is, again, probably the biggest opportunity. It's the picks and shovels that aren't there yet, right? But let's take one, actually, let me take a slightly different direction on this as well. Right? So one thing I think that people get wrong about blockchain technology is that they mistake it for a sustaining piece of innovation, not a disruptive piece of innovation, right? And so this is sort of the Clay Christensen, you know, business school approach to it, right? But I think is really instructive in thinking about it and about the open space in, in, in blockchain technology, right? So a lot of people sort of mistake blockchain technology as a sustaining innovation, which just means that it's an incremental improvement. It, it, you know, in supply chain context, it, it does it a little better. And, you know, people that are probably most to blame for this are your consultants, right? Um, the consulting shops who love to, um, sell this kind of stuff to whether it's ASX 200 companies or, or, or even smaller companies sometimes. But really what we, we, we're seeing with, or I think with blockchain technology is that it's, that it's disruptive, right? So it's creating new markets, new value networks, um, and, and eventually will disrupt the current value networks that exist. That takes time, right? And it needs to be, you know, coming back to sort of the Clay Christensen approach of the, to, to, to innovation and sort of disruptive innovation, it's, it's got to be cheaper. And it's got to rise from the bottom and create new markets that eventually uh, eat up the current market, right? So that's that's sort of the challenge. And, and to be able to do that, the price needs to fall. The technology needs to be available. It needs to be accessible. It needs to, um, you know, be AWS in, in sort of the modern context of technology. And then we'll start to see, I think, a lot of disruption. That's the challenge at the moment. And where I think, again, if, you know, if, if I was building a company, I'm I'm sort of doing the opposite. I'm sort of investing, so trying to be the capital inflow to those companies. Um, I'm looking for those types of companies, the ones that are trying to stitch that together and find ways to, you know, provide that infrastructure cheaply and effectively to to customers. Yeah, and I mean that would create a problem, wouldn't it? Where if you're rising from the bottom as a as a disruptor, obviously you're going to come against the the incumbents that own, for example, the data. They own the business model. They own the customer. So potentially. Yeah there's a bridge to cross in, in terms of an ASX might be trying to do, do both, but you know, it's hard to disrupt from, from outside the, the fence and, and we sort of got to find ways to stitch those things together and solve those problems um, with yeah. both the incumbent and the disruptor at the table. Otherwise each will be missing a critical component. 
I always think of a, of a story that sort of describes this best and sort of crystallizes it for me uh, when I think about that challenge, right? So famously, Clay Christensen was asked about the iPhone, whether he thought it was sustaining innovation or disruptive innovation. And he said something to the effect, again, I'm sort of going to butcher this, but he said something to the effect of, um, I think it's a sustaining innovation, right? It's, a, it's another mobile phone. It's a better mobile phone. And so therefore, you have to compete on cost. You know, it, it's attacking the existing market that exists in mobile phones, right? So he thought the competition was... Ericsson, Motorola, et cetera. And it sort of was, right? I don't think that was necessarily completely incorrect. But really, if we think about what the iPhone displaced, it wasn't the mobile phone, it was the computer, right? And so being able to you know, take compute with us everywhere, be connected all the time, that's what was disrupted. So it probably disrupted more the desktop market than it did the purely the mobile phone market. It's, that was the secondary effect, right? And that's what ends up happening, right, with, with a lot of technology is that it looks like, and sort of the most successful technology, looks like it's disrupting one market, but really it's taking an orthogonal view as to how something is done, right? And then that's sort of what we're missing in blockchain still. I think in many cases, we have people talking about, you know, again, so I'm just going to pick on supply chain, but, you know, hey, supply chain is, is what needs to change. Here's an incremental improvement uh, to a process. And that, you know, that may be the case. It, it may be able to incrementally improve it, but... The real disruptive, you know, coming back to that idea of the killer app, it usually comes orthogonally from a different perspective, from a different view as to how a technology can be used, right? And we're still sort of, I think, fumbling in the dark when it comes to blockchain technology as to what that might be. You know, the current big use case is really um, DeFi, distributed finance. And that's where there's been a lot of activity. You know, a ton of F has been locked up in, in different uh, financial contracts on, on different DeFi networks. And sort of we're seeing that again as probably the big, interesting open network area of, of innovation. And again, it, it's sort of trying to orthogonally, I think, come at financial, like financial products. Again, I, I, I think that's interesting. Let's zoom a little bit wider. Obviously, Alan, you're in your role at Fintech Australia and, and as an angel investor, you'd, you'd see a, a whole lot of other business models on that Fintech spectrum. Um, yeah. What do you sort of see, what else is out there at the moment? What are you seeing uh, trends coming through? What, what is Australia doing particularly well? Are there any areas that are, you know, blockchain might still be oscillating in POC? Are there any areas that are uh, sort of throwing up shoots and, and growing quite quickly? My personal, I'm going to start with my personal view on sort of where I think the world's going with blockchain sort of to answer this question. So I think broadly, we're still going to see open networks. So permissionless networks be where the world will end up heading. So a lot of the permission stuff is occurring. Just coming back to sort of the comment earlier, there's a bunch of POCs, financial services, you know, there's, there's some companies working in identity. So sort of uh, consortia who, who sort of find identity to be useful uh, information to be shared amongst them. So you see that again, supply chain, that's another really popular one. I think there's probably not a consulting firm who hasn't got a product they're trying to sell or a service they're trying to sell around supply chain. Pretty like, you know, if we think about it relatively big, like, I mean, it's a huge market. If we sort of, you know, do a top down TAM, it's, it's big, but I, I think the areas of disruption in, for example, supply chain could potentially be limited, right? Sort of, again, one of my, one of my hobby horses in terms of trying to, talk through this, this notion of sustainable versus disruptive innovation using supply chain and blockchain um, as an example. But, you know, the water rights stuff, I, I think that's really interesting. Creating markets where there where haven't been, I think is is interesting because then you sort of got a greenfield opportunity to rethink 
how a market structure those principles. I think that's interesting. I think, you know, the other stuff that we're seeing is probably going to be around, you know, thinking about how natively we can have some tokens of value in an ecosystem. So, you know, one that gets thrown up every so often is, you know, what is the native currency in VR? Well, there isn't, right? There isn't one, you know, and, and will things like COVID-19 sort of push forward the use of VR? I, I don't know, but like, I, these are sort of the more sci-fi versions of, of what, what people are thinking about, right? You know, the side fact stuff is, is probably a little bit less interesting. It's, it's very much business process, um, you know, again, some of those things that we've talked about. But again, I, I think that's sort of, you know, looking at the wrong thing, it's sort of the sustaining innovation view of the world versus, you know, disruptive innovation. And if you look into your, your crystal ball, and we've spoken a little bit about where this, where we might be heading and, and what you're seeing, but what, are, and particularly with an Australian focus, we've seen the, we're in the middle of COVID, we've seen the Royal Commission come through the fintech space. So there's a huge focus. There's there's a bunch of regulation now and in, in um, you know, freeing up data and, and making sure we're sort of, the data is a bit more portable and accessible. So what do you see the role of both blockchain and fintech playing in our lives over the next five, 10, and then and then even beyond that sort of looking in, in the next couple of decades? So, so I think, you know, the th- and I've said this so many times that I'm still proven wrong by it, but I think, you know, blockchain really is going to disappear into the background, right? This idea that, you know, you see a pitch deck where the company says, we are a blockchain for X company, that that's going to disappear and, you know, I, I've been saying it probably for like a good two years now, but it's still very much the case. People will, you know, uh, pitch the idea of blockchain first and the solution second. I think that'll change eventually, right? And and you know, five years is probably not a bad bet that that sort of starts to disappear into the background and just becomes another database technology that you know is one of the many things that you know a, a startup might use or you know incumbent might use to to solve a particular problem. You know, what we're tending to see still is a lot of you know coming back to those POCs that, that are alive, most of them are take data, hash data, put on blockchain, right? That to me is sort of, uh, again, it's that sustaining innovation view of the world versus, you know, finding disruptive new use cases. I think I'm keeping an eye on, on, on things like DeFi and sort of the way people are using it. Um, one project that I, I was looking at the other day was around this core problem that, you know, if, you, if you're in uh, sneaker, sneaker culture or um, you know, uh, streetwear culture, um, one thing you tend to see is this idea of a drop happening. Then all of a sudden, you know, the sneaker or the the piece of you know clothing, Supreme is sort of a great example of this, uh, skyrocket on secondary market. So you know, that's fine. That's that's great for the people that are flipping this stuff. But the creators aren't actually you know um, be uh, being able to extract the full value of their creation. Right? And so sort of solving for that using a blockchain uh, is is potentially interesting, right? So whether that's a digital good or, or a physical good tied to the you know real world, I think that can be an interesting use case. Again, it's sort of that stuff is you know potentially a little bit early. I've seen some interesting broader pieces around, you know, again, sort of digital, probably more on the digital art side and sort of creating unique one of one uh, pieces that, that are verifiable on a blockchain. I think that's sort of directionally interesting if I, you know again sort of thinking about directional arrows of arrows of change that that's interesting because it sort of flips on its head how value is distributed in, in the world of uh, art so so things like that that are native solutions to problems versus reinstrumenting or trying to fix processes i think is where the world's headed and we'll tend i, I think we'll tend to see more of that kind of stuff over the next quarter five to ten years alan that's been brilliant i've certainly learned a lot today thanks so much for coming on the podcast yeah thanks max great to have a chat mate To find out more about RMIT Online's programs in topics like blockchain, visit online.rmit.edu.au.